Hi everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 335. I was going to start the show off by addressing some criticism that I encountered this past week. However, I think it's more important that I start by addressing the Charlie Hebdo story. It's funny, I'm always saying how surprised and how thankful I am that since the inception of this podcast... People online have been generally very nice and civil to me, even when we have a serious difference of opinion. Uh, but yeah, I did have a couple of unpleasant exchanges online recently. Uh, I may still get to those later. Uh, but anyway, before we start, I'd like to thank Ian LaSalle, or LaSalle for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. I'd also like to thank the Mad Humanist for including a clip from the Weekend Out in the most recent episode of his podcast. Pretty cool. And as I've mentioned previously, uh, you can find the Mad Humanist podcast on iTunes and uh, maybe stop and give the weekend out a review while you're at it. Okay. So unless you've been living in a cave or stuck in some stasis chamber or something, you're probably aware of uh, last week's attack on the French satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo. Or is it Charlie? <clears throat> probably butchering it with my crude American, not to mention New England accent. Um, but since the uh, web is inundated with news reports on this really important story, instead of going and trying to hunt down a specific article, I'll just read a recap of the events from Wikipedia because I think they do a pretty good job of distilling things. And here's uh, what they have to say. On January 7th, 2015, two Islamist gunmen forced their way into and opened fire in the Paris headquarters of Charlie Hebdo, killing 12, including staff cartoonist Sharb Kabu, I think it is, Henri uh, Tinou, is it? Oh, my French is awful too, T-I-G-N-O-U-S, and Walensky, economist Bernard Marie, and two police officers, and wounding 11, four of them seriously. And it should be noted that one of the officers they killed happened to be Muslim himself. So they killed a fellow Muslim. Um, and they basically, well, not basically, they did. They killed him execution style. And a lot of the news reports would cut before the execution or they would pixelate it. And the Young Turks actually showed the execution completely uncensored, and it's really tough to look at. Well, the gunmen were escaping. You know, they had already massacred all those people inside the uh, offices. And then they go out into the street where they're getting ready to enter a getaway car, and they spot a wounded officer kind of lying almost in the fetal position on his side, on the sidewalk. And one of them, just very quickly and mechanically, very coldly, approaches the officer directly, intentionally, and almost in one fluid motion, approaches the officer and then circles around him. But while he's doing so, he just coldly fires around uh, into the officer's head, I believe. So they just killed the officer execution style, and already there's a bunch of asinine conspiracy theories that I've read on the net. Not that I sought them out. I would uh, unfortunately stumble upon them while reading uh, comments on um, news sites. 
people are saying that there wasn't enough blood spray um, or that the gunshot hit the uh, sidewalk and not the officer and that this is all some kind of setup or staged event that somehow ties into France voting for um, a Palestinian state. So it's ridiculous and it's insulting. And as a lot of people have pointed out, there's a difference between movie violence and real-life violence. Sometimes real-life violence is gory, like something you would expect to see in a Hollywood movie. Other times, it's not. And I don't want to get too graphic, but if you supposedly, if, if a bullet enters the right part of the skull, it can actually enter and exit without causing a lot of visible damage, but obviously enough to kill someone instantly. But anyway, I'll continue with what Wikipedia has to say. During the attack, the gunman shouted, Alu Akbar, God is great in Arabic, and also the prophet is avenged. And then I don't want to butcher uh, this person's name, but addressing a female visitor to the offices, one of the attackers said, I'm not killing you because you are a woman and we don't kill women, but you have to convert to Islam, read the Quran, and wear a veil. And that's disgusting on a couple of levels. One, trying to force your religion onto someone else is repulsive, um, in my opinion. And then, obviously, also, they're displaying this kind of warped idea of chivalry. Uh, we won't kill you because you're a woman, but we'll traumatize you and slaughter everyone around you. Um, and, and by the way, I believe uh, another woman was killed. Uh, by the gunman. But anyway, uh, it continues. President Francois Holland, or Holland, ah, I'm terrible with uh, French names, and many other uh, types of names too, as you've probably learned by now. Uh, but anyway, the um, French president described it as a terrorist attack of the most extreme barbarity, and I agree with that 100%. The two gunmen were identified as Saeed Kouachi and Sharif Kouachi, French Muslim brothers of Algerian descent. Uh, let's see, what's it have to say about the aftermath? The day after the attack, the remaining staff of Charlie Hebdo announced that publication would continue, with the following week's edition of the newspaper to be published according to the usual schedule, with a print run of one million copies, up significantly from its uh, usual 60,000. I, I love that, how they're just continuing to stand up to the fundamentalists. And uh, I think maybe Google deserves some credit here. I think they donated a large sum so that uh, Charlie Hebdo uh, could pull off that uh, one million copy print run. Yeah, it says the French government granted nearly a million euros to uh, support the magazine, and um, Google donated 250,000 euros, matching a donation by the French Press and Pluralism Fund. The Guardian Media Group pledged 100,000 euros. Then, of course, um, the Je suis Charlie uh, meme has become viral, viral in the best sense of the word. And it's funny because I can remember trying to uh, teach myself French at one point years ago because some of my favorite poets like uh, Arthur Rimbaud and uh, Charles Baudelaire uh, happened to be French. And I always had to read the English translations. I didn't get very far, but I got enough that I knew what Jesuit was. So it basically means I am Charlie. 
And uh, here's what Wikipedia has to say about that. After the attacks, the phrase Je suis Charlie, French for I am Charlie, was adopted by supporters of free speech and freedom of expression who were reacting to the shootings. The phrase identifies a speaker or supporter with those who were killed at the Charlie Hebdo shooting, and by extension, a supporter of freedom of speech and resistance to armed threats. Some journalists embrace the expression as a rallying cry for the freedom of self-expression. The slogan was first used on Twitter and spread to the internet at large. The website of Charlie Hebdo went offline shortly after the shooting, and when it returned, it bore the legend Je suis Charlie on a black background. The statement was used as a hashtag on Twitter. As computer-printed or handmade placards and stickers and displayed on mobile phones and vigils and on many websites, particularly media websites, while other symbols were used, notably holding pens in the air, the phrase not afraid, and tweeting certain images, Jesse Charlie became more widespread. So if you've been watching the news the last couple of days, the French authorities or police, um, I don't know if they're referred to as the gendarme uh, collectively, but they managed to finally track down the uh, terrorists. And I think it was Lawrence O'Donnell on uh, MSNBC who was saying that supposedly the French police work differently than they do here. They're kind of more united in the sense that there's not as much bureaucracy or red tape or um, jurisdictional issues. So whenever a problem arises, it's easier for the French police to immediately send out the uh, best of the best to whoever they uh, need to go. And it turns out there was two pairs of terrorists. The, there were the original two brothers, then there was uh, an African immigrant and his wife, also radical jihadists. Uh, I believe the two pairs were working for two different terrorist groups. The brothers were working for Al-Qaeda in Yemen, I think. And they even told um, the surviving victims at the Charlie Hebdo attack to make sure everyone knew that they were working for uh, Al-Qaeda. The other two, I forget which group exactly they were working for, um, but I think that husband and wife group, it might have been the day after the Charlie Hebdo attack, but they gunned down a French uh, policewoman. And then uh, the takedown of both sets of terrorists ended up with uh, standoffs with uh, police. And unfortunately, uh, I believe um, four hostages died. But the two brothers were killed. Uh, definitely not going to shed any tears over them. Uh, the husband was killed. And uh, it's like something out of a movie. The wife is still on the loose. And um, I guess they were speculating on the news today that she may have fled uh, to Syria before the attacks were even carried out. So in case I was a little uh, sketchy on the details... I'll read a bit from an ABC News article about the kind of twin standoffs that took place. And this is dated January 9th. And this is the uh, 11th as I uh, record this episode. Police killed three terror suspects today in twin standoffs that left four hostages dead and a nation on edge. Some hostages were seen fleeing the site of one standoff, a Paris kosher market, and officials later said that the four hostages were killed there. And I should just stop for a second to say it's no coincidence that it was a kosher uh, market. Now, I think there's been a couple stories recently about a rise 
in uh, anti-Semitism in Europe perpetrated by Islamic immigrants. And I'm not trying to slander all Islamic immigrants. I'm hoping that the majority are decent people. But supposedly there has been a rise in anti-Semitism. And I think at least one of the uh, brothers, the Karachi brothers, whatever, however you pronounce their name, I'm not too worried about it, um, had expressed a desire to focus on French Jews. But whoever he was getting his orders from uh, kind of redirected him. But anyway, I'll continue. At a concurrent standoff at a printing company in the town of De Martin Angola, or something like I don't know, I probably just butchered that. Uh, 20 miles northeast of Paris, police killed the Charlie Hebdo attack suspects as the brothers, one of them previously wounded, came out of the building with guns blazing, French officials said. After the siege was over, police found automatic weapons, Molotov cocktails, and a rocket-propelled grenade, primed and ready to launch, the, the Paris prosecutor said. The dramatic developments came after sustained gunfire and small explosions erupted at both hostage situations in France. Two days after a massacre at the Paris offices of the satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo, there were at least four explosions and a barrage of gunfire at the market, at the Porte de Vincennes, or Vincennes area of Paris, and then police were seen going in. Police then were seen coming out of the market, and ambulances and fire trucks drove towards the market, loaded people in and drove away. After the siege was over, police found explosives around the shop tied to a detonator, the Paris prosecutor said. And it's funny, um, well not funny, haha, but I was just alluding to recent stories about anti-Semitism in Europe by uh, Islamic immigrants, or who knows, some of them might be first generation or whatever, I, I don't know. But I remember I was reading one story the other day, um, I think it took place on New Year's Eve, perhaps, where there was, a, I believe there was a, a rabbi on a train or bus and a group of men, and as I said, this was in Germany, started singing anti-Semitic songs. And he finally got sick of it and asked them to stop, and they ended up beating him. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, Germany, anti-Semitism. I'm like, oh, no. Are these some kind of vile neo-Nazis or whatever? But no, they weren't neo-Nazis. Uh, they were Islamic. And so the situation's really getting kind of tense in Europe. Actually, I just found that story I was talking about. It looks like I was a little off. It wasn't a rabbi, but I'll read the story now. And this is from Haaretz, I believe it is, and it's dated Tuesday, January 13th. Israeli attacked by men singing anti-Semitic songs in Berlin. Shahak Shapiro was attacked on New Year's Eve after he asked seven men to stop chanting anti-Jewish songs. Berlin police are investigating an attack on an, on an Israeli citizen who was beaten by a group of young men after he asked them to stop singing anti-Semitic songs on the subway in the German capital on New Year's Eve. Police spokesman Martin Dahm said Monday that police have not yet been able to identify the attackers but are evaluating video footage of the incident. The victim, 26-year-old Shahak Shapiro, who lives in Berlin, told the Associated Press that after he asked the seven men to stop chanting anti-Jewish and anti-Israeli songs and slurs, he recorded them on his cell phone. 
When he got off at the next subway stop, the men who Shapira said were speaking both German and Arabic followed him and demanded he delete his video. When he refused, some of the men spat on him and beat and kicked him, injuring his head. And then also in Germany lately, there's been a lot of anti-Muslim rallies and protests. And in response, there's also been a lot of counter-protests in return. People counter-protesting what they see as anti-Islamic uh, bigotry. And as I said, I don't want to uh, foment hate. And I, that's why I'm trying to be careful and point out that obviously not all Muslims are radicals and not all um, Muslim immigrants to Europe are jihadis or part of some sleeper cell that's just waiting to kill uh, uh, non-Muslim Europeans or something like that. Most of them hopefully are just good, decent immigrants trying to go about their day. But it really is like a tea kettle that's getting ready to blow because you have all these different factors. You might have people who feel like they're losing their cultural identity because um, so many Muslims are emigrating. And then that's probably further irritated by these incidents of fundamentalist violence. And then at loggerheads, we have the real world problem. Well, what do we do with these kind of radical imams that are perhaps given too much freedom in European countries and instructing and perhaps grooming uh, these young jihadists like the Karachi brothers? Uh, so that's a real problem. Fundamentalist Islamic violence in Europe is a real and growing problem. How do we deal with that? And then on the other hand is we don't want to give in to the darker side of our nature and become bigots. So, and I think that's the tension or the rub, and that's what Europe has to deal with. I remember I first heard that one of the brothers had previously already been arrested for aiding a terrorist group. I think he was helping to... Uh, organized the, the sending of of fighters to go help uh, Al-Qaeda. And I remember, th and he was, I forget how long he was jailed for. It was a relatively short period. Uh, I don't know if it was a little over a year or if it was like 18 months or something. I forget. But it wasn't that long. And I remember thinking to myself at first, whoa, this guy was arrested for aiding Al-Qaeda and... Um, after he served his time, they let him stay in the country. And then, of course, I found out that the brothers were born there. Okay, so I just looked it up. He was sentenced in 2008 to three years for involvement with uh, terrorism, but got 18 months suspended. So still not much. And I know this doesn't apply to the two brothers because they were born there. But in cases where the individual isn't a natural citizen and they engage in terrorist activities, I would hope that there's some kind of policy that after they serve their time, they get deported, or I would think so. It'd be scary to think that they might release them back into the population, I don't know. But I don't want to get in over my head talking about something I'm not well versed in. But I know that European countries do face a lot of criticism for not cracking down hard enough on their budding extremists and radical imams who spout hate speech and pro-extremist rhetoric. 
And I think in the case of Germany, part of that might be because um, of Germany's own dark past of uh, bigotry and anti-Semitism. Um, they might feel that to some degree they have to handle such situations with uh, kid gloves. But obviously you don't want to be too PC because it could literally get you killed. But I think that's the problem they have in Europe. They have to find a way to be really hard on terrorists and root out jihadist cells while at the same time trying not to be bigoted or becoming jackbooted thugs. It must be quite a line to walk. Well, I guess if I was king for a day, you know, obviously, I mean, if someone was born here and they were involved with terrorism, I would try to put them away for a long time. If they were involved with terrorism and they had immigrated, they weren't born here, I'd be like, you're out. See you later. Uh, uh, not a time for political correctness. I'm not sure if that makes me uh, the bad guy or not. It seems like common sense to me. I know there's freedom of speech issues, uh, but I, I would also be pretty tough on any um, radical cleric that was preaching uh, hate or that was encouraging um, terrorism or extremism. Uh, but this wasn't the first time that Charlie Hebdo was the target of a terrorist attack. Uh, back in 2011, I believe it was, uh, the offices were firebombed. Um, and I'll, I'll read a little bit of that, too. The paper's controversial November 3rd, 2011 issue renamed Sharia Hebdo, a reference to Sharia law, and guest edited by Mohammed, depicted Mohammed saying, 100 lashes of the whip if you don't die laughing. In the early hours of... November 2nd, 2011, the newspaper's office was firebombed and its website hacked. The attacks were presumed to be linked to its decision to rename a special edition, I don't know why the article is repeating itself, Sharia Hebdo, with Muhammad listed as the editor, <coughs> the editor-in-chief. The cover featured a cartoon of Muhammad by Luz, uh, Renaud Lazier, uh, had circulated on social media for a couple of days. Sharb was quoted by the Associated Press stating that the attack might have been carried out by, a, by stupid people who don't know what Islam is and that they are idiots who betray their own religion. Mohammed Massawi, head of the French Council of Muslim Faith, said his organization deplores the very mocking tone of the paper toward Islam and its prophet, but reaffirms with force its total opposition to all acts and all forms of violence. Francois Fillon, I think it is, the Prime Minister and the Interior Minister, voiced support for Charlie Hebdo, as did feminist writer Ayan Hirsi Ali, who criticized calls for self-censorship. And if you don't know Ayan Hirsi Ali, uh, I love her. She's a women's rights activist, and she comes from a fundamentalist Islamic background uh, herself. I'm not saying she was a fundamentalist uh, Muslim, but that's the world she came from and that she fled from. And she's also an anti-female genital mutilation activist. Uh, she herself had been uh, subjected to uh, female genital mutilation. And she was born in 1969 uh, in Mogadishu, Somalia. And she ended up moving to the Netherlands. And uh, she was involved in Dutch politics for a while. 
And she's also uh, good friends with people like Salman Rushdie, uh, the late Christopher Hitchens, uh, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, etc. It's funny, um, fellow non-believers, atheists are probably very familiar with the so-called uh, Four Horsemen of New Atheism. Once again, one of my personal uh, heroes, the late Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and Sam Harris. I believe it was after Hitch passed away, and there was another event where there was a talk featuring the Four Horsemen, and um, Ian Hersey Ali actually sat in as the, the Fourth Horseman, or Horsewoman, in this case. But this actually... Uh, segues into something actually segues rather nicely into something else I wanted to talk about and that's the the Danish cartoons and I think uh, that controversy was back in 2005 where some satirical cartoons released by a uh, Danish newspaper um, that's similar to Charlie Hebdo that uh, satirized the Prophet Muhammad um, caused quite an uproar and there were protests and violent riots around the world. And actually, this might have been a little before the Danish cartoons. In 2004, the uh, great-grandnephew of Vincent van Gogh, uh, Theodore van Gogh, a film director, producer, screenwriter, etc., uh, activist, uh, was murdered. Um, he had been working with Ian Hersey Ali on a, a short film, I believe, and uh, it was a film that was critical of Islam, and a, a radical ended up uh, murdering him. It gets pretty graphic, but I'll, I'll read the description from Wikipedia about his murder. Van Gogh was murdered by Mohamed Boyeri, I think it is. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. <clears throat> Why can't everyone just have the last name Smith? But anyway, uh, while cycling to work on the 2nd of November 2004 at about 9 o'clock in the morning in front of the Amsterdam East Borough office on the corner of Lenaustraat and Tweed, Osterparkstraat. Oh, man. The killer shot Van Gogh uh, eight times with an HAS-2000 handgun. Boyeri was also on a bicycle and fired several bullets, hitting Van Gogh and two bystanders. Wounded, Van Gogh ran to the other side of the road and fell to the ground on the cycle lane, according to eyewitnesses. Van Gogh's last words were, don't do it, don't do it, or have mercy, have mercy, don't do it, don't do it. Boyeri walked up to Van Gogh, who was on the ground, and calmly shot him several more times at close range. Boyeri cut Van Gogh's throat with a large knife and tried to decapitate him, after which he stabbed the knife deep into Van Gogh's chest and reaching his spinal cord. He attached a note to the body with a smaller knife. Van Gogh died on the spot. The two knives were left implanted. The note was addressed to and contained a death threat to Ian Hersey Ali, who went into hiding. It also threatened Western countries and Jews and referred to ideologies of the, of the Egyptian organization Takfir Well Hijra, I think. The killer, Mohamed Bouyeri, a 26-year-old Dutch-Moroccan citizen, was apprehended by police after a chase during which he was shot in the leg. Authorities have alleged that Bouyeri has terrorist ties or had terrorist ties with the Dutch Islamist Hofstad network. 
He was charged with the attempted murder of several police officers and bystanders, illegal possession of a firearm, and conspiring to murder others, including Hersey Ali. He was convicted at trial on July 22, 2005, and sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. Good. Now that's what I'm talking about. Life in prison, no chance of parole. The murder sparked a violent storm of outrage and grief throughout the Netherlands. Flowers, notes, drawings, and other expressions of mourning were left at the scene of the murder. The day after the murder, Dutch police arrested eight Muslims allegedly belonging to a group later referred to as Hofstede Network. Six detainees were Dutch Moroccans, one, one was Dutch Algerian, and one had dual Spanish Moroccan nationality. The Dutch Complaints Bureau of Discri uh, for Discrimination on the Internet received many complaints about websites allegedly praising the murder and making death threats against other people. At the same time, starting with four attempted arson attacks on mosques in the weekend of, of uh, the 5th through the 7th of November, there were retaliatory violent incidents against Muslims. The Dutch Monitoring Center on Racism and Xenophobia recorded a total of 106 violent incidents in November against Muslim targets. The National Dutch Police Services Agency recorded 31 occasions of violence against mosques and Islamic schools between the 23rd of November and the 13th of March, 2005. An arson attack destroyed a Muslim primary school in Udin in December 2004. By November 8th, Christian churches were reported as targets of vandalism and arson attacks in turn. Um, so there we see this kind of retaliatory back and forth violence. So obviously it should go without saying, although I understand this kind of animal impulse, that when you see acts of terrorism, you want to lash out grief and anger. It, it should go without saying, it doesn't make sense to target people who most likely had nothing to do with the attacks themselves, other than the fact that they happened to share um, the same religion as the uh, perpetrators. But for all you know, the people you're targeting happen to have a much more moderate worldview. And I've also heard people, and there probably is some validity validity to this viewpoint, people saying that a lot of these um, Islamists uh, perhaps start out feeling kind of marginalized or ostracized by their host nations. Um, and that might be somewhat of an explanation for what they do, but it certainly isn't a justification. And my response to that would be boo-hoo. Um, and this might sound cold or nasty, but if a country is good enough to let you or your parents immigrate, even if you feel like your living situation is less than optimal in that host country, you don't kill innocent people. You either try to make a better life for yourself in the host country, or as harsh as it sounds, go to either the country of your ancestry or another Islamic country where you feel like your radical views or your personal strain of Islam will be more welcomed. But as I was describing earlier, I think this is what Europe is dealing with right now. Um, this real kind of powder keg situation where reasonable people are caught between Islamic fundamentalism and retaliatory anti-Muslim bigotry. <laughs> And I think there may even have been stories I read in passing about after the Charlie Hebdo attacks of people uh, 
as surreal and as extreme as it sounds, I, I could have sworn I read a story about uh, people chucking grenades into mosques. Yeah, I just want to hold myself accountable. Here's uh, the Daily Mail UK. Revenge attacks in France see mosques under fire. Three blank grenades were thrown at a mosque shortly. I shouldn't be uh, laughing. They were blank grenades, but uh, I don't know if that's similar to... Uh, I'm not well-versed in uh, armaments. <laughs> I don't know if um, that's similar to maybe like a flashbang or, or if it's even less lethal lethal than a flashbang. But we know from stories right here in the U.S. that uh, flashbang grenades used by U.S. police forces can cause um, severe injury. There was a story about, I don't know if this was maybe this past summer or if it was even uh, further back, but a police SWAT team was raiding a house because they suspected someone in the house of dealing drugs or something like that. Um, and they threw a flashbang through the window and it landed in a baby's crib and it did some horrible damage to the uh, infant's face and chest, I believe. So uh, I think even possibly um, blank grenades or flashbangs, you know, things like that can still cause grievous injury if they happen to land uh, close enough to you. And I have to admit, and, uh, you know, I can kind of hear uh, myself um, shoveling the dirt away from under my feet as I dig a hole for myself saying this, but I have a dark side. You know, I try to be a rational, reasonable person with humanist values, um, but I have a dark side too. And I know that even I, you know, after I heard about the uh, Charlie Hebdo attack, and I heard about people throwing grenades into mosques. I think for maybe half a second, maybe I thought, good, you know, screw them all. You want to be ungrateful and attack your host nation. And then, you know, I rein myself in and I realized the bigoted attitude. And I say, what are you saying to yourself, man? Um, we have millions of Muslims living in Europe. Uh, we have these two, you know, these two brothers commit this heinous act where they slaughter 12 people. But that's not an excuse to be chucking grenades into mosques or perpetrating acts of retaliatory violence against people who just happen to be Muslim and are just trying to live a, a decent life and take care of their families. But I think that's how the cycle of violence is perpetuated. Someone commits an act of violence against us and then instead of appealing to the better angels of our being, we lash out in return, and then it's just a, a vicious uh, circle. So to reiterate, we can't be taking our anger out on innocent people just because they happen to be Muslim. But at the same time, we shouldn't be so PC that we don't severely crack down on radical imams and people trying to drum up um, anti-Semitism, or encouraging extremist violence. And perhaps when I say we, I'm talking about the Western world. So, and right now, even though I'm American, I'm, I'm kind of, when I say we, I'm thinking Europe and what they're dealing with right now. And perhaps we need more draconian laws. So like I said, even though the brothers were born there in, in France, in this case, so you can't deport them, but the brother who was arrested for being involved with Al-Qaeda, 
you certainly could have kept him in prison longer. Well, I don't know what the uh, legal technicalities may have been, but you would hope, ideally, that they could have kept him in prison longer. If not, maybe they need to take another look at their laws. I, I would think that, and I'm just kind of arbitrarily coming up with a number here, I think if, if someone's caught plotting with Al-Qaeda, I would give them at least a minimum of 10 years in prison, not 18 months or a year or whatever it was. And I know e even though European nations aren't bound by the U.S. Constitution, they many Euro European nations also value the importance of the freedom of, of speech too. So I know that comes into play when they try to uh, calculate how far they can go in um, battling uh, the hate speech of radical clerics and imams and things like that. Maybe I'm being too conservative in this regard, but I think you probably have to crack down more and be uh, harsher uh, when it comes to dealing with um, speech that's encouraging acts of fundamentalist violence. And as I was reading those stories, one thing that kind of jumped out at me was the similarity between the way that Theo Van Gogh was killed and that um, Muslim police officer was killed by the, uh, the two brothers. Um, the way that Theo Van Gogh was pleading for his life and was showed no mercy, the same was, uh, it was the same with that uh, wounded police officer. And you, you supposedly, uh, the reports are that he was saying no, 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 right before they coldly shot him in the head. And if you watch the uncensored video, you can see as the gunman approach him uh you can see him holding his hand up like in a gesture of like stop you know and without any regard for his life they just coldly shoot him in the head his arm collapses to his side and they keep on uh moving and get into the getaway car and i think i should also say about that slain officer um there's another example of how obviously you can be a muslim and you can still have your religion and assimilate into your host country the same way that, well, I think about myself, you know, I'm kind of this European mix. I'm mostly Italian, but uh, one of my grandmothers uh, was Irish. And um, it's funny now thinking about it because we think of Irish and Italians as just white Europeans. But I think Italians were probably looked at similarly to the way um, that some people view Latinos, who are these swarthy foreigners, you know what I mean? And uh, the Irish were treated as subhuman. There used to be signs that would read, Irish need not apply, and caricatures depicting Irish people as looking like uh, monkeys. Um, so I think, you know, you can be a Muslim and be a good person. Obviously, it should go without saying and assimilate into your host culture and become a productive member of society, like a police officer, that French policeman who, who was shot trying to uh, save people. So it's horrible, man. And uh, we could get into another philosophical debate. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris, and he talks about how we can't be politically correct when we look at the different doctrines of different religions. And there may be some doctrinal differences that make Islam 
more likely to give way to fundamentalist violence. And that, as Sam Harris has pointed out, if, if you look at the history or supposed histories of the founders of the world's great religions, uh, for instance, let's say the, the Jesus of the Gospels uh, was an accurate depiction of who Jesus was. Not the miracles in this and that, but he was this kind of... Uh, pacifistic figure with a, a focus on social justice who allowed himself to be crucified. Well, Sam Harris's point was Jesus, uh, we could also say um, Siddhartha Gautama, the historical Buddha, and, and people like that are different. There's a difference between their approaches and the approach of Muhammad, where Muhammad uh, was more of this kind of conquering kind of... Uh, military type of figure and that might play a role in in how um muslims view the the uh the way in which um their religion should be spread and how infidels should be uh treated as well but that being said i don't know if i don't think that's necessarily the whole picture because uh obviously there's millions and millions of muslims who are performing acts of extremist violence and uh, probably um, don't feel compelled to uh, wield a scimitar in the uh, in the name of Muhammad. But I think it, yeah, it probably does play a part. Christianity certainly has a dark and violent history itself. And uh, even as Sam Harris likes to admit, the Old Testament is one of the most uh, morally offensive holy books there is. Um, if you if you take a lot of those stories literally about the uh, treatment of the Canaanites, uh, the Midianites, the Amalekites, um, not to mention all the prescriptions uh, for killing people um, that we find in Numbers and Leviticus for everything from uh, adultery to uh, not properly respecting your parents. So I think there might be some truth to the notion that uh, there are these key differences in the doctrines that might help explain why we see more violence, at least at this point in time, perpetrated by uh, Islamic fundamentalists. Um, but I'm sure there's also a lot of geopolitical factors as well. And of course, if we're going to be intellectually honest and fair, as I just alluded to, there's a dark, Christianity has a very dark past too, with uh, pogroms, crusades, um, inquisitions. But I suppose um, someone could also argue that that's kind of going against the Christian doctrine and not following the spirit of it. In the Old Testament, be an ugly and barbaric book at times, but as Christopher Hitchens used to like to joke, you know, things kind of change when you get uh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> Although, as I've pointed to, you know, the book of Revelation can be uh, quite lurid and violent uh, at times. And um, with its imagery, at least, it's kind of surreal, apocalyptic imagery. Um, and not everyone agrees that Jesus was all that meek and mild, if we take into consideration Reza Aslan's uh, recent, well, kind of recent book, uh, Zealot, in which he makes the case for Jesus as more of a uh, militant figure than most Christians would probably uh, 
like to think of him as. Then I think it was, um, well, I'm all over the place, but then that just brought to mind, uh, I think it was Jerry Boykin, who's this uh, right-wing Christian uh, military general um, who was talking about how Christ was a warrior. Uh, I believe Hitler described Christ as a warrior at one time too, and that's a whole different thing. I caught some flack from an online uh, atheist because I don't know if you guys remember the uh, the creepy nativity episode I did recently, where I joked about how I kind of got chuckle at first out of the pig's head nativity story until I realized that there may have been an act of animal cruelty involved, and also when I thought, well, you know, how would I have felt if that was the vandalism of a synagogue or something like that? I probably would have taken it much more seriously. So I kind of drew this analogy, which I admitted might be somewhat flawed uh, right in the podcast. I said that. But this analogy between um, kind of desecrating a Christian nativity and someone vandalizing a synagogue or something like that. But I actually, in fairness to me, I ended that segment by saying that I thought it was possible that the reason why Catholicism or Christianity in general might not enjoy the same guarded status as Judaism is because we're rightfully on guard against anti-Semitism because of the uh, the Holocaust. So anyway, uh, someone didn't like my um, comparison between Catholicism and Judaism, and they decided to try to uh, open a can of whoop-ass on me <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, and I actually posted this to the Weekend Out Facebook page, so this is the kind of stuff you're missing if you don't uh, like the Facebook page. And here's what the person says to me. It's kind of weird because I didn't expect to get into a debate with someone over that kind of relatively silly nativity episode. But anyway, uh, here's what they said. Since Catholicism is an option, not a race, it's nowhere in the same league as Judaism. When it comes to such comparisons and considering the roots of the Holocaust lie in Catholicism, Hitler was a Catholic. His first treaty was with the Vatican. He was never excommunicated, and the church said special masses on his birthday up until he committed suicide. There's something a bit off about your comparison there as well. And so now, uh, and so now I'll read my reply. And I should say that uh, this was probably earlier on in the week before I was worn down by some other criticism, so I was probably a bit more polite at this point. But I replied back. Hey, thanks for taking the time to reply to my video. I really appreciate it. I think you make a good point. Judaism is a bit unique, and that is both an ethnicity, for lack of a better term perhaps, and a religion. We could even point to things like the similarity between African Americans and sickle cell and the Ashkenazi with Tay-Sachs. Uh, what I was saying there was, you know, for, for people who say that Judaism is just a religion, um, I'm kind of agreeing with the, uh, with my critic here, there are, say, uh, cases, you know, we have Ashkenazi Jews um, who are genetically susceptible to Tay-Sachs disease, kind of similar to the way that people of African descent are more susceptible to sickle cell. Uh, and anyway, I continue, one can convert to Judaism, true, but it still traces its roots back to a particular Semitic group. 
As for Hitler's religiosity, he seems to have been a bit of a mixed bag and highly opportunistic. He sometimes condemned religion as little more than a useful tool, while other times, such as in Mein Kampf and certain public speeches, he outright identifies himself as Christian. Then we have the Aryan mysticism of Himmler and others, which also muddies the waters, in the assertions by modern-day Christian apologists that Hitler was an atheist, or at the least a social Darwinist. Perhaps I was being unconsciously too PC and buffering myself against claims of Catholic bigotry or insensitivity. Once again, thanks for the response. <clears throat> and I even included a smiley face emoticon. <laughs> so I think he had a point in a way there with the flawed uh, analogy. Um, I still don't think it's that clear cut. I think you can draw an analogy between being prejudiced against Judaism and being prejudiced against other religions, say Catholicism. Um, but at the same time, yeah, uh, Judaism is a little unique in that the fact that even though, as I said, you can convert, um, and technically a person of any ethnicity can, uh, become a Jew, it still traces its roots back to, uh, a certain Semitic group in the, uh, ancient Middle East. And of course, the Nazis weren't just targeting the Jews based on their religion, but they considered them... Uh, a racial group as well. And as far as Hitler's uh, religiosity goes, um, I really couldn't care less. <laughs> I really couldn't care less. Uh, atheists and theists, you know, I consider myself agnostic atheist, uh, debate this all the time, whether or not Hitler was an atheist or whether or not Hitler was a Christian. Christian apologists like to say that Hitler was... Uh, that, that he had this kind of survival of the fittest mindset and uh, he was a social Darwinist and that secretly he didn't have much regard for religion at all. And some people say he even had this kind of secret agenda that he was just being diplomatic with the uh, churches, but ultimately he wanted to uh, do away with Christianity. And I think he even once described it as something to the effect of being weak and flabby or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. I believe he did uh, use the word flabby, though. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. And then atheists will say, well, Hitler identifies as Christian and Mein Kampf. He identifies as Christian in some of his public speeches, uh, even like Jerry Boykin, as I said, uh, referring to the the Lord as a warrior. And as uh, Christopher Hitchens used to like to point out, and, and if I hear Jenk Uger with that accent say the phrase, God mit unst one more time, I'll pull my hair out. But when, uh, um, but it, yes, it's supposedly, uh, you know, the, uh, the Nazi army had belt buckles that said God mit unst, which means uh, God is with us. And that's all true, too. And so I think that points to the fact that Hitler was an opportunist. He embraced Christianity when it was in his uh, best interest. And um, secretly, all he cared about was probably power and Aryan domination. And uh, he did probably consider um, Christianity as being weak in a sense. And of course, the Hitlers had... The Hitlers, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the world's worst family sitcom. Uh, but of course... The Nazis also had their own brand of Christianity where they tried to do away with a lot of the uh, the Jewish 
influence and Jewish roots, and, and they tried to craft this more Aryan uh, kind of Christianity. And then even though I think secretly Hitler looked down his nose at Aryan mysticism, uh, some of his officers like Himmler were also very steeped in this kind of Aryan mysticism, this kind of uh, weird Norse paganism. And, and they kind of mixed together Norse paganism with this Aryan Christianity or whatever. But I think one of the reasons why it's such a contentious issue is because Hitler's own divided stance. Um, I'm not arguing that he promoted Christianity at times in his public speeches and in Mein Kampf. He obviously did. But at other times, he derided religion and Christianity. I think he was a megalomaniacal psychopath. I actually don't care if he was an atheist or not, or if, or if he was a Christian or not. What I care about is the fact that he murdered millions of human beings and was responsible for one of the most nightmarish chapters in human history. But one thing I have pointed out before concerning Hitler and Christianity is that undoubtedly the long history and tradition of Christian anti-Semitism in Europe, the pogroms, the persecution of Jews, the looking at Jews as if they were at best second-class citizens, if not, at worst, devils and Christ killers. So I think this history of anti-Semitism in Europe kind of culminated in the Holocaust. It provided fertile ground for the anti-Semitic philosophy of the Nazis to take root. And to be fair, I don't think Christianity was anti-Semitic, as I'm always trying to drive home. The first Christians were Jews, the, the so-called Jesus movement. Um, Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. The masses he preached to were Jewish. Uh, Paul, originally Saul, was Jewish. I believe three out of the four gospel writers were Jewish. Originally, in the ancient world, in the classical world, if you wanted to convert to Christianity, first you had to convert to Judaism. Um, and that's before Paul preached a more lax approach, that you didn't need to be circumcised in the flesh uh, or follow certain dietary laws. You only need to be circumcised in your heart, as it was uh, put. is kind of strange as that saying might sound. Um, and I think this it's a misunderstanding because at times there's this kind of anti-Jewish tone in the Gospels, even though we're dealing with a Jewish religion. And this shouldn't be taken as anti-Semitism on the part of the Gospel writers. It should be more looked at as a kind of Jewish infighting or feuding, Jews criticizing other Jews for not embracing Jesus as the Messiah. But I'm not going to waste this episode quoting Adolf Hitler. Uh, if you want to look up Hitler's quotes, uh, his pro-Christian quotes from, say, Mein Kampf or his public speeches, you can easily Google that stuff. And there's a couple of quotes floating around the web that are supposedly of Hitler denouncing atheism. You can Google those for yourself. And there's a book called Hitler's Table Talk, I believe, and it's transcriptions taken, taken by Hitler's personal secretaries, uh, I believe, um, 
you know, these kind of behind-the-scenes or frank talks. And uh, the book is rife with him denouncing Christianity and religion. And you can probably find plenty of quotes from Hitler's table talk online, too, if that's uh, what you want to do. But I think the reason why Cenk Uger kept on bringing up the Gaunt mit uns thing is because um, when he was battling Sam Harris, Sam would try to make the point that you're, most, that you're more likely to get fundamentalist violence when you faithfully follow the doctrine of Islam than you are if you faithfully follow the doctrine of Christianity. And uh, Cenk was trying to say, and he was getting kind of all huffy about it when he was interviewing Sam Harris. He was trying to say that the first two world wars were started by Christians, which I would say they happened to be started by people who happened to be Christian, but they weren't started based on a following of Christian doctrine. So Jenk was trying to say to Sam Harris that Hitler was a Christian and uh, World War II was a Christian war, which I think is, uh, quite, a, is quite a stretch. And I think Sam Harris wisely um, tried to deflect the whole issue by, like myself, saying that Hitler was kind of a mixed bag and that his, the exact nature of his religiosity was, uh, is a point of contention. You know, I'm, I'm so sick of that debate between atheists and theists over whether or not um, atheism is responsible for more murders in, in the modern age. And apologists will point to people like Stalin and Mao, etc. Some people try to lump Hitler into the same group as them. You know, as I just pointed out, apologists will try to say that he, he really wasn't a Christian. He was an atheist. Uh, he's another example of how atheism has killed more people in, in the modern era than uh, all the religions combined or whatever. But I, I mean, just to give my take, like I said, I'm sick of this argument. But just to give my take, I, I personally side with the atheist view that even though these regimes may have tried to do away with religion, were oppressive towards religion, um, they were basically state religions. They were kind of cults of personality. You can see that with Stalin and Mao. And if we look in, in our own time, our own day and age with uh, North Korea, we have this family, this succession of dictators, communist dictators with all these bizarre miracles attributed to them. Everything from hitting a hole in one the first time, I think Kim Jong-il uh, golfed, to uh, this belief, which I think is satirized in the movie, the interview that Kim Jong-un apparently doesn't have a butthole and doesn't have to defecate. So there's all these weird stories mythologizing and, and, and deifying uh, the North Korean leaders. So we're not looking at regimes that value humanist values and, and free thought uh, the way that Western atheists do. So I do side with the opinion that we're not looking at atheist regimes. We're looking at state religions, in a sense, uh, cults of personality. And I should, of course, remind everyone that atheism isn't even a religion. As I like to say, it's the absence of religion. So it's not like we're some group unified by some kind of uh, religious uh, 
creed or doctrine. It's just that we doubt the supernatural claims of religion and we value empirical evidence. Um, and as many prominent atheists have joked before, there's no special word that you need to tell someone you don't believe in the tooth fairy or that you don't believe in unicorns. You're not an a-tooth fairyist. You know, it's, so atheism is just a, a word for someone that doesn't believe in, 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 in something. In this case, in uh, gods, or we at least doubt the existence of uh, gods, or we're waiting for the, uh, the evidence to come in. We certainly doubt the supernatural claims of man-made uh, belief systems. But since I already read one example of how I had to recently defend myself, uh, maybe I'll read a couple more. Okay, so I usually don't comment on news articles. I sometimes enjoy reading uh, other people's comments, but just like YouTube, uh, just like the YouTube comment section, uh, you know, um, the comment sections of uh, news sites can be pretty rough and tumble. Uh, it sometimes makes you lose your faith in humanity. But I was so moved by the Charlie Hebdo uh, story uh, that I posted a couple of comments on the Huffington Post. And here, this is also on the Weekend Out Facebook page. And here I say, relatively nasty exchange between myself and a random commenter on the Huff Post regarding uh, the Charlie Hebdo cartoons. And here's what I said. Religions are man-made belief systems. We should be able to criticize and lampoon them like anything else without faring for our lives. And here's a reply by uh, <laughs> some dick named Paul Cruz. Did that really just come out of my mouth? I, I guess it did. I was trying to take the high road, <laughs> but I guess it didn't work. Uh, but he says, hey, Phil, I'll pay for your ticket to the caliphate and you can tell them all about your opinions about their man-made belief systems. Let's give it, say, a year or so. If you make it back after straightening them out, call me, okay? Uh, <laughs> um, it, but here's how I replied. I might have been a little catty, but, uh, you know, I tried to keep it classy to some degree. Hey, Paul Cruz, you just made my point for me. The fact that criticizing religion can get you killed is the very problem I was pointing to. You may want to pause and think before posting snide comments. But it's funny, like I talked about my dark side earlier. Um, I could feel my dark side rising a bit as I, uh, you know, when I initially read Paul's reply. Um, people are welcome to criticize me. And if people have constructive criticism, I welcome it. Hopefully it can kind of give me a new perspective on things. It can allow me to try to improve the, the way I see things or uh, it might even make me a, a, a better, more informed person in a way. But when people are just snide and sarcastic, um, it just kind of, it gets my proverbial goat. And so I remember I was looking at the guy's profile pic, you know, and usually I don't believe in picking on people because of their appearance. But you know how when someone kind of goads you or makes fun of you, you look for any opening or weakness you can use to kind of cut them down the size. And I so wanted to just like take at least one shot below the belt and say something like, why don't you come to the caliphate with me? And if something goes wrong, you can blind them with your golf shirt. Or I wanted to make a comparison between him hugging his two buddies in that recent 
cringe-inducing video of big fat, or should I say gelatinous, Chris Christie jumping up and down, parring all over his two rich buddies. But it's funny how sometimes when people wound us, it can be very tempting to just quickly write them off as the other. I remember thinking, look at this douche. Probably some shallow, vapid waste of flesh. And I know that's extreme. The dark side, baby, the dark side. Don't give into it. Eh, I'll give into it a little. <laughs> there it is, Weekend Out listeners. Me at my worst. Huff Post guy and his stupid pot-bellied golf buddies. <laughs> it's out of my system, I swear. I'm over it. But at the time, I think I did the right thing, pointing out the error in his own thinking and kind of taking the high road to some degree in my reply at least because i think it's when you sink down to someone else's level that's when you get kind of caught in one of these endless flame wars or uh back and forth pissing matches pardon my language and then i was trying to figure out what was his point um i said right in my initial post religions of man-made belief systems blah blah you know we shouldn't be uh killed for lampooning them or criticizing them so right there, I'm pretty much insinuating that I'm an atheist or an agnostic uh, at best, uh, and that I'm someone who values free speech. So why would I want to go to the caliphate to try to convince some imams of something? I don't know if maybe the point he was trying to make in his weird way, and I've seen others do this with the, um, with what's the uh, anti-Boko Haram meme, is it? bring back our girls or something like that. You know, Boko Haram is that fundamentalist uh, Islamic uh, African group that has taken hundreds of young girls into uh, slavery. And um, so I believe there's a campaign which even, uh, I think even Michelle Obama um, joined in and, and, and said, bring back our girls, you know? And I think some people have kind of cynically said, Oh, well, what's that do? Just saying bring back our girls doesn't bring them back. You know what I mean? And so I think there's a cynical point of view in that line of thinking that also says, you know, saying je suis Charlie or, or criticizing fundamentalists for not valuing free speech doesn't in and of itself do anything. So it's just this kind of liberal indulgence that just makes... It's like patting yourself on the back. It makes you feel better, but it doesn't actually solve the problem. And I don't agree with that uh, point of view. I think that, uh, especially in this day and age where the world is connected through the net, that thoughts and ideas can spread like viruses. And I use virus in, in the most positive way possible. <laughs> you know, that thoughts and ideas can go viral. And... In a, in a sense, in a positive sense, they do kind of proliferate and spread exponentially, kind of like a, a virus. And um, you might not be able to convince a 70-year-old imam somewhere, somewhere to give up his, uh, his ways just because you say, yes, we shot Charlie or whatever. But I think if enough people spread these positive messages that... We really value freedom of speech and we really value women's rights. And we're not going to step back from that no matter what you do. It, that, that thinking 
that positive mindset can spread through other parts of the world. It can even spread to young people throughout the Muslim world. And if you get enough young people to adopt this kind of positive, more humanist and modern mindset, it, it is going to affect the future. And, and though it's funny now I think about it, I gave in the temptation. I clicked on this uh, Paul Cruz guy's name in Huffington Post because it will take you to their Facebook page. And one of his most recent posts was him sarcastically saying that, wow, all these bring back our girls tweets and none of them are back yet or something like that. So I guess maybe that was his thinking that, uh, that when you make statements like that, they're just feel good uh, words that don't really amount to anything. But as I just explained, I do think they amount to something and you have to speak uh, truth to power. You have to stand up for your beliefs I mean, look at people like Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., people who didn't resort to violence, but literally did change the world with their positive sentiments and the fact that they wouldn't back down in the face of violence. So, and this brings me to the heart of the matter. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to get to this, but I think um, what I really want to express is what my core thoughts are regarding these uh, controversial free speech stories, the, um, the Danish cartoons, the uh, Innocence of Muslims movie, the Charlie Hebdo uh, cartoons. Innocence of Muslims, I, I just thought it was a shitty movie. Um, you know, I, I thought that it kind of made fun of the Prophet Muhammad, but in a really amateurish and ham-handed kind of way. Uh, where, and I don't know if it's partially because I'm an artist myself, but I, you know, I've been drawing cartoons and things like that since I can remember, and I'm a graphic designer, <laughs> at least part-time, as I was just explaining to a listener recently on Facebook, um, most of my dough is still earned by, uh, swinging a hammer with, uh, my family's construction business, oh, <clears throat> which I hate, by the way, but anyway, uh, off of my problems and back to uh, the world's problems. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't really care for that whole innocence of Muslims thing. I, I think they had the right to do it, but I, just my personal take, I, I didn't really care for the uh, movie. Um, but I did very strongly stand behind the, the Danish cartoonists and the value of what they were doing. And I strongly stand behind um, the uh, Charlie Hebdo uh, cartoons as well. And I remember uh, one thing that turned my stomach back when the thing with the Danish cartoons went down is how quickly even high-profile Christian uh, clergymen, etc., uh, spokespeople were, and perhaps with Judaism too, but how quickly high-profile representatives of other faiths were to condemn or bash these cartoons. And this might be somewhat incendiary or hyperbolic, but when people blame the cartoonists, I I think it's, and here's another flawed analogy I'll probably catch flack for, I almost compare it to when misogynists blame women in short skirts or whatever for being raped. And yeah, there is a difference. You know, a, a woman should be able to wear 
whatever she wants without having to worry about being sexually assaulted and whether or not what she's wearing is provocative is in the mind of the beholder and it shouldn't matter. With the cartoon, satirical cartoonists go out of their way to uh, be provocative, you know? Um, but I thought that was disgusting when even people of other faiths um, tried to put at least some of the onus on the cartoonists back when that uh, controversy hit. And actually, there was uh, maybe one or two Charlie Hebdo cartoons that kind of made me wince or cringe a little. I think there was one that showed like a naked uh, Muhammad lying face down on a table with someone putting like a video camera up by his rear end. <laughs> I was like, whoa, man. But some of the Charlie Hebdo cartoons I thought were absolutely brilliant. There's one I posted to the Facebook page that shows a decapitated artist you know, someone who's just been decapitated by uh, an extremist, and you see a guy in Muslim garb holding a bloody scimitar, but his kind of his eyes are bulging and his jaws dropping in disbelief because the decapitated artist is kind of spreading his neck stump open and blowing a raspberry at the um, terrorist, kind of like to say, you know, you can kill people, but you can't kill ideas. Uh, you can kill me, but free speech lives on. You know, I, I just, I, I loved it. And there's another one that shows a Charlie Hebdo cartoonist kind of French kissing uh, either Muhammad or, or just uh, someone in Muslim garb. And in the background, you can see the burning rubble of the uh, firebombed Charlie Hebdo offices and the caption was something to the effect of love, not hate. And I thought that one was kind of brilliant, too. Um, and there's another one I really loved. It shows an ISIS terrorist beheading Muhammad. And Muhammad is kind of saying something to the, to the effect of, wait, it's me, Muhammad. And I think the point of the cartoon is that some of these terrorists are so extreme or have such an extremist interpretation of their own religion that even Muhammad might not be up to their standards or might end up uh, needing to be killed by by their standards. Um, and and uh, it's funny, I've been watching The Young Turks and I, I want to kind of give a shout out to people like Dave Rubin and Jimmy Dore who were really staunch in their support of these cartoonists. And then there was Ben Mankiewicz, who I usually agree with on a lot of things, but Ben Mankiewicz was acting almost in a per, like a paternal way, like handling Muslims with kid gloves. Like we have to be worried about every Muslim's feelings, saying that he obviously thought it was wrong to kill the cartoonists, but that he thought that some of the cartoons were in bad taste and stupid and that they were too provocative and that they probably make Muslims around the world feel bad or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Boo-hoo. Um, and I'm not saying this to be anti-Muslim. Just on a recent episode, I told you about the different things I actually like about Islam and how if you name a religion, I can tell you things I like about it. But I'm saying it because I think 
freedom of speech has to be paramount. And on a practical note, I'm not sure how many Muslims around the world are actually reading Charlie Hebdo and seeing these cartoons. But in fairness, as I said, we're all connected by the web where things uh, go viral and are easily accessible. But if you're easily offended by these things, and if you belong to a religion and your beliefs can't even stand a satirical cartoon, maybe you should either, you know, examine your own faith or examine the merits of your religion. And actually, with the exception of a couple of examples, I actually, uh, I don't, as I was just alluding to, I don't find the cartoons in bad taste at all. And I think um, one mistake that a lot of people make, a lot of people perhaps being too PC in this regard, is that they kind of equate political satire with kind of schoolyard taunting or provocation. Um, all of us, if we had decent parents, were probably raised to not bully, not tease. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. But I think political satire is far different. It's a completely different animal. Um, political satire is a powerful weapon to speak truth to power and point out hypocrisy. So to me, it's not about, oh, yeah, well, you know, some of those cartoons go too far about freedom of speech. No, it's, I don't think the cartoons go too far. I think that political satire is a, a very important component of uh, free speech. It's funny, I think, I think there was a, uh, a well-known American political cartoonist on Lawrence O'Donnell, either The Night of the Charlie Hebdo attack or the day or the night after. And he said something really funny about, you know, there's that certain power of political cartoons. It's like, it's, it's a message distilled into one image and uh, you can't really combat it. For instance, he was saying like, this guy in particular likes to draw uh, Mitch McConnell as a turtle. He's like, if I draw you as a turtle, what do you, you can't really, <laughs> there's no intellectual comeback. You can't say, hey, I don't look like a turtle. You know what I mean? So it's kind of funny. But it's true that there is like a lot of power in political cartoons. If they're done right, I mean, not every political cartoon is a winner. Some are, are stupid. Some just uh, don't get the point across very well. But when they work, they're brilliant. The ability to get a powerful message out or, or to point out hypocrisy with one single image. Um, but anyway, uh, since I already read two criticisms of me, uh, I might as well read the third. Someone else came at me, <laughs> in a manner of speaking, on uh, the Huff Post, And this is also on the Weekend Out Facebook page. And this is someone named Joel A. Omer. And he's replying to the same comment that that uh, other guy did. Um where I say religions are man-made belief systems, we should be able to criticize and lampoon them like anything else without fearing for our lives. So keep in mind, he's replying to that same message. And he says, Phil Albertelli, no, all caps, capital N, capital O. Criticizing Islam, Islam also, all caps, can get you killed. 
no Jews or Christians shot any newspaper employees. And I say back, Joel A. Omar, your comment seems like a bit of a non sequitur. Did I ever make any false claims about Christians or Jews? I'm an agnostic atheist. I don't believe in the supernatural claims of any religions. That being said, I freely admit at this point in time, you're much more likely to be killed for insulting Islam than any other Abrahamic faith. I'm not sure where our point of disagreement is. And I'll say in fairness to Joel, he actually gave my uh, reply a like. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be a, an apologist because I do stand by that, that at this point in time, you're much more likely to get killed for criticizing Islam than you are for any of the other um, big religions. Um, but that being said, we should be intellectually honest and remember that uh, even this day and age, people do still get killed in the name of Christianity. And not that long ago, an abortion doctor by the name of George Tiller was killed by a Christian extremist. And remember, uh, Bill O'Reilly used to incessantly report on Dr. Tiller. And um, he used to call him Tiller the baby killer. And then should we be surprised when someone eventually shoots the guy? And then yet most of the abortion clinic bombings took place back in the 90s or something like that. But I think it's, it wasn't that long ago, might have been a couple of years ago, that there was a firebombing of an abortion clinic. And I think in Christian Africa, right now, there's still um, there's people being killed for witchcraft. Uh, and we know that uh, homosexuals are being persecuted by African Christians and threatened with death. So we do have to be intellectually honest about this stuff. So this whole show is basically off the cuff, but I did have like an outline. I'm trying to see if I missed any of my little bullet points. I think I covered everything. So it should go without saying. The idea of killing a living, breathing human being in the name of religion, it's asinine, it's grotesque. There may or may not be a higher power. Who knows? I'm doubtful, it goes without saying. But if there is a creator... He probably doesn't want you, if he's a god worth worshipping, killing your fellow creations, killing your fellow human beings. Mostly, I believe that religions are entirely man-made. They're supernatural claims or man-made figments. The idea of killing someone in the name of a long-dead quote-unquote prophet or a fictional deity, it, it's, it's grotesque beyond words. Your God may or may not exist. Your fellow humans do exist. Don't kill them. All right. Uh, <clears throat> not like the extremists are necessarily going to be listening to me. Maybe I should take Paul Cruz up on his offer and, and, and go to the caliphate. Or maybe I can just take uh, the ticket he buys me, exchange it for money, and buy a lot of uh, like cinnamon bears and uh and, and, and Jack Daniels from the Duty Free Shop. Do they sell Jack Daniels at the Duty Free Shop? I don't know. But anyway, with all that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. This might be the longest episode in the show's history. I don't know. Uh, no, no, now that I think about it, the Alexander Nye interview was in between two and three hours. But I almost forgot there was a Salman Rushdie quote that I wanted to leave you with. Religions, like all other ideas, deserve criticism, satire, and yes, our fearless disrespect.
All right, you guys know the drill. Like the Facebook page, follow on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel. If you want to donate, go to the bottom of the Weekend Out Podbean page. I don't know how it ended up at the bottom. Um, there's a PayPal widget you can use to contribute to uh, the show's upkeep. Who knows, maybe someday I can do this for a living. I don't think so, not yet. But I'm going to keep doing it uh, either way. So until next week, thank you for listening.